Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is brought to you by Safe Ireland and Airbnb, working in partnership to support domestic violence survivors across Ireland. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. I'm coming to you today from the House of Omicron. Uh, Yeah, you've heard of the House of the Rising Sun. Well, this is the House of Omicron, as so many of our houses are. Uh, Four of us had it over Christmas and we're still in isolation. Um, And I know many of you will have had the same experience or had a lot of Christmas plans cancelled because of it but anyway I hope it wasn't too much of an ordeal we're completely riddled with it here uh but I'd say for us it was more like a a mild cold I'm still a bit congested um I lost my taste and smell which was fascinating uh but I'm looking on the bright side and celebrating my naturally boosted immune system and all those lovely antibodies swirling around in my system which should give me a good few months of really uh really top immunity to getting it again. So I'm happy about that. And a very happy Nolignaman to all of you. This is Women's Christmas Today or Little Christmas as some people call it, the Feast of the Epiphany. Um, It's the day when traditionally women in Ireland were given a little break after all the physical and emotional labour of making Christmas happen. And I suppose things have moved on a bit since those days. But today, in this episode, we want to explore how much they've moved on exactly and whether women are still doing the bulk of all those invisible jobs. And the answer is, of course, unfortunately, yes, they very much are. It is still predominantly women who take on the responsibility of looking after the household with 81% of females recording daily involvement in housework compared to 44% of men. And that was according to a 2019 ESRI study, caring and unpaid work in Ireland. Women also take on the majority of caring for their children, partner, parents and other relatives. And our guest today, Paula Fyans, has written a book all about this. It's called The Invisible Job, How Sharing Home and Parental Responsibilities Leads to Happier Lives. And don't we all want happier lives, men and women? We all want that. Uh, We have been led to believe in some quarters that gender imbalance is largely a thing of the past, which if you listen to this podcast, you know very well that it's not. But that's the kind of vibe that's out there. And that we live in an era where women are free to achieve their potential on a totally equal footing with men. But Paula maintains in this book that women still bear the brunt of the invisible labour that goes into running a home and creating a safe, warm, fun and loving environment for everybody who is living there. So what could be a better conversation for Nolik Naman, really? I hope it gives you a lot to think about. I hope you have a lovely day, whatever you're doing, and that this conversation perhaps leads to some conversations in your own homes. Here it is, The Invisible Job on Nolik Naman with Paula Fyans. 
Paula, thank you very much for joining us on the Women's Podcast. Now, today is Nulugnaman, and this is traditionally the day when women, uh, in the olden days anyway, get a day off because they've worked so hard all over Christmas doing everything it takes to make Christmas happen. So I thought this was a perfect day to talk to you who wrote the book called The Invisible Job, How Sharing Home and Parental Responsibilities Leads to Happier Lives. Tell us about why this is a good day for this conversation. Roisin, I am delighted to be here with you today. I think it's an absolute perfect day to talk about this subject because in a way, Nulad Naman is kind of like one day that represents the entire year, but we've put the spotlight on it for one day. And uh, I think it's a, a very well-intentioned old tradition whereby typically the man of the house and the family want to recognise all the hard work that mum has done in making a fabulous Christmas, everybody's full, happy, have a wonderful warm glow about the place and they want to show their appreciation. It's entirely well-meaning, you know. Um, But if we take a little step back and think, well, you know, what has mum done? What has dad done? This is in, you know, very traditional generalisation way, okay. I think typically we can say dad knows that he has done his job. He got the Christmas tree. He got the decorations down from the attic. He put the batteries in toys at Christmas Day up till possibly two in the morning doing that one and lit the Christmas pudding perfectly. Meanwhile, the slightly less visible jobs that don't get all of the applause could include planning starting about three months in advance, working out who do we have here for Christmas? What are we going to cook? What are the logistics of who isn't talking to whom? What are all the Christmas presents that I need to start scouring online about two months in advance and wondering, will I buy them on Black Friday or not? Or will they change their mind and no no longer want Xbox, whatever? Um, It's working out presents for teachers. It's uh, sorting out space for the new toys, because you know these are all arriving. You have a house already full of half-broken toys. Um, It's Christmas jumpers that you suddenly remember tomorrow. Oh, we all have to wear our Christmas jumpers to school and I don't have one, Mum, and you've only told me at seven o'clock. Thanks a million. Um, It's meal planning. It's decorating the house. It's the time when you realise, God, we never painted that thing on the door and all the rallies are coming. How do we get that sorted? It might be organising a visit to Santa. It's getting the advent calendars. My children still give out to me if someone hasn't bought the advent calendar. And that someone is always a certain someone, you know, who hasn't bought the advent calendars. It's getting Christmas cards. It's writing them, which takes two days, posting them, remembering to send the presents off to all the people who live in France and South Africa and wherever else, allowing for postage, having stamps in, making up the beds for the visitors, remembering what kind of catch up Uncle So-and-so wants. Well, I'm exhausted listening to you. I know there's lots <laughs> of women too. listening who are exhausted. <laughs> but I, I know you've I, more. Go on, go on. Oh, well, I, I, here's just off the top of my head, you know. So, um, <laughs> you know, working out what everyone's going to wear, just, uh, just uh, I mean, the, the list could go on and on. But the point is, I think you're right, Roisin, any woman who's done this, which is pretty much anyone who's, uh, I'd say 30 plus, we know all of this. The thing that we don't know is sometimes we don't realise just how extensive it is. Because if you extrapolate this on from, that's just Christmas, okay? But we live 365 days a year. But on the same kind of scale, there are tons and tons of individual jobs that make up, individual elements that make up the, uh, the invisible job. In fact, there are 131 of them and we're not aware of them. We're not aware of them in our 20s. I certainly wasn't. And we start launching into doing them 
Um, really, when we start sharing a home with someone, when we have a long term relationship, you've got, you know, boyfriends in their 20s, girlfriends. And it's um, at that stage, it's starting to take a shape. We start to fall into a gender role where it's like, oh, this is going to work. Um, I'll, you know, I'll do this and you do that. And there's an intent to make this relationship work, to make this living together thing feel good. And, you know, people tend to do their own thing from all the people I've spoken to and interviewed for this. Generally, at that point, things are pretty equal. We're both keen to demonstrate to our partner. We believe in equality. We each do our bit. You don't like doing the dishes. I don't like hoovering. Not a problem. And we just balance each other out and it works really well. The problem really only starts when we introduce dependence. And those could be little dependents, as in children, or they could be older dependents, such as, you know, an elderly mother-in-law. Um, but actually, the, the funny thing is these dependents can even include our own partner. Uh, some of the data that I've written about shows that when a man moves in with a partner, the amount of hours per week that he spends on the invisible job, which is, you know, looking after a home, a house, cooking, everything you do with it, you know, to make that whole side of your life function, life admin, for a man, it goes down. Life gets easier for him. And for women, it goes up. So living on your own with no partner, life is easier than living with a partner, which is, you know, that's, that's even before you talk about dependents who really can't fend for themselves, which are the young and the elderly. But just you two capable adults. That's a really funny dynamic that I discovered along the way. Well, yeah, that reminds me of um, Michelle Obama and those interviews she used to give where she talked about having, yeah, he's great and all, but uh, you know, try picking up his socks and underwear after him all around, that he can't seem to find the, the laundry basket and stuff like that. <laughs> even Barack Obama. <laughs> well, I think there's absolutely every one of us have flaws. Um, I, I, I don't think any man or woman out there is perfect. And we're, this is not about perfection. No. This is about awareness. This yes. is about understanding that there are many, many moving parts to making life just function smoothly. And when it functions smoothly, nobody's aware of it. Mm. Do you remember the ESB ad, you know, where the guy's on the train and he's coming home, you know, think I'm coming home to the the things I love so well. And you see the mum there putting in the electric blankets, the lights are going on, there's cooking. It's it is like an aga. You just think, oh my God, I want to get under a duvet in that house now. It just feels so welcoming and warm. And everybody loves that feeling of home, safety, comfort, clean, nice smells, safe. Everybody loves it. But we don't realise what that takes to create. None of us realised it when we were little. And when you... Become a partner, especially when children get introduced to the mix. You take on that role between you. And if you took it on together, you'd both learn what it involves. But unfortunately, it tends to default to falling largely to women in heterosexual relationships. Yeah, well, let's speak about that because I know that we have, you know, lots of gay listeners and just to make sure that we're inclusive of them, because you've also spoke to a lot of um gay people about this subject too uh, it seems to be a bit more equal and it, can we before we go on let's just talk about that why is that that it's more equal I suppose because they're not having those inherited roles that we as in heterosexual couples take on where the women do this and the men do that that's less of an issue in, in a gay couple I'd imagine 
It actually is, but you've kind of jumped onto the second point of why does this happen in heterosexual relationships? And it, in fact, the answer is that there are gender roles. Although we, we grow up thinking, you know, I haven't inherited gender roles. I am my own person. I wouldn't, you know, fit in with any stereotypes. We don't realise that actually all around the world, we do grow up with a sort of a preconceived notion of what men and women are supposed to do, even if we're aware of things like sexism. And that's one of the things that surprised me. So yes, it was really interesting to find out that this problem of an imbalance in how the invisible job is shared is really an issue with heterosexual couples. And it's not an issue with gay couples. Now, I've, I've spoken to a lot of researchers who've done specific studies in gay couples. My book is mainly about heterosexuals because A, that was that's where the biggest global data is available. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that this was reflecting the truth, you know, in, in, in hundreds of thousands of people. Who really does the invisible job? Is, just, is it just a notion that we think it's more women? I wanted facts. So the studies in gay couples are smaller, but the studies that do exist indicate this is simply not a problem. So um, A, if you have a predisposition, perhaps as a woman, to noticing things that need to be done. It applies to both women. Um, I know gay couples who have children and they are fabulous at sharing. They each take up that um, they, they, the initiative. They know what needs to be done and they just go do it. And, and it's not to say that men couldn't do it because gay male couples also have very good sharing. Some studies have shown, in fact, though, that the dynamic switches when um, couples have children that often in a gay relationship, one of them switches into a gender role of male, one becomes female, one goes out to work and one doesn't. So some of the couples have spoken to me um, have talked about that. But largely, this is an issue of male-female roles, which dictate a big and unfair disadvantage and a big, a big and unfair imbalance between how men and women in a relationship share life responsibilities. And it's important because that impacts the whole of the rest of their lives, their, their personal fulfillment, their career opportunities, their financial well-being, their health. But it is an issue that is predominantly in heterosexual couples. And that's why this is the group we need to focus on today. Paula, when I wrote a column and I think the WhatsApp groups in schools, I think it kind of encapsulates perhaps in the way that this day Nulignaman does as well, encapsulates the issue we're talking about and why it's so important. So I was doing a, an article about how come all the school WhatsApp groups are predominantly full of the female parent. The woman is in them. I did a survey on Twitter. I find, I asked, you know, how many, how many men are in your group? It was not surprising to me, but really interesting to, to see it confirmed that very few men were, because I even know in my own experience, the amount of ma male interaction on these groups is very minimal. And there was a few interesting things that came out of it, like about some men feeling shut out of these spaces where women actually feel like, no, we do it better and we don't really want the men involved. That was one thing. Another thing it was that it hadn't occurred to some women that that was even an issue that, of course, I do, as well as everything else I do. I also organise the play dates. I also figure out, have you know, the Christmas jumper thing you said, have I, have I got the right project for the kid? Is there all the different, you know, uh, admin that comes with having a, a child in school? The the women, even feminist women, seem to sort of accept that that is just part of our lot. And and do you agree about that with about the WhatsApp groups? Is that a good place to look if we're trying to see a visual representation of the invisible job? There are so many things that you've said at least six things that I want to pick up on. All <laughs> of them I agree with, but you've gone very fast. So uh, yes, I agree with that observation in the WhatsApp groups. That is how it is. 
Um, I do know some brilliant fathers. I'm thinking of one in particular who I wrote about. And I do too. And I also have to say, I live with a brilliant father. I mean, and there are many of them around. So I just, I don't want anyone to get the impression that we're not acknowledging those people because they're brilliant. Yeah. Indeed. And I think for one of the things you said is sometimes they're shut out. That's completely true. So um, another um, author I know called Patricia Camerata, she's written a wonderful book. It's in German. It's called um, Raus aus der Mental Roadfalle. <laughs> it's escaping the mental load. And she's a wonderful person who really highlights that we do almost prevent men from um, having this role. And it's, schools will send home a list only to the mothers. And she's really a wonderful advocate of getting right back onto the school and saying, excuse me, can you add my husband's name to this, please? please? Because if you're not aware, if you're if you're a person who is going through your day at work and you haven't had 14 WhatsApp messages from the school to say the swimming bus will be late. Oh, no, the swimming bus is going to be on time now. But can you all come to school tomorrow wearing green and yellow? Oh, and by the way, you, your, your son forgot his lunchbox. And we'd like, we're looking for a new treasurer for the school committee. And you're just kind of going bing, bing, bing. And you, some of these you think, God, I can't, I don't have time for this. I'm, I'm here in work. At the same time, if you, the one day you don't look at the WhatsApp group, you will have a eight-year-old who says, Mommy, you didn't bring my swimming gear to school when the teacher sent you the urgent message. So... There's a balance, um, but the time that's managing these groups uh, takes up is considerable. And also you have little control over it. And and I think that's one of the greatest factors uh, that we need to understand in terms of there is an enormous job to be done. Um, It it is invisible. We underestimate it. But um, the first thing to understand is just how big is it? And you, one of the things you said there was that um, some women just think, well, this is my lot. You know, this is just what I have to do. Everyone around me seems to be doing it, too. And I absolutely would have been in that group. We're trying to just do what we think we're supposed to do. But we don't, first of all, understand how much we're attempting. And that was the reason I actually ended up writing this book. I remember I, I worked full time uh, on top of, you know, being trying to be a good mother, um, uh, as anyone does. Um, and it's always hard. You never, ever feel like you're anywhere near nailing both of them. And I remember at one point taking a career break for a year and thinking this is going to be easy. You know, um, what what do those women do all day if you don't have a job? But I could not have been more wrong because I simply had not got a clue how big the job was. And I only, it took me about six months to realize it is bloody enormous. And I started writing um, an invisible job description just to list <laughs> what it took. Because I remember one day my neighbor um, who's retired and he said to me, so Paula, how is it all going now that you're a, and he's desperately not trying to say housewife because he knows that's somehow non-PC to say that. Um, he said, are you bored? And I was speechless because I didn't know, is he joking or does he simply not know, you know, A, what goes on uh, just being in charge of children, a house, no childcare. I just lost um, all of our childcare because I just, that, that was what kept us all together while I was working full time. And I wanted to just simply list what this job description involved because it was a second man. Another very well educated. He was a lecturer in equality. And he asked me the same question. Are you bored? And uh, so I started writing oh it as a job God. description. No, I know it, it sounds funny. I can't but, believe he's a lecturer in equality. In the yeah, he, he's a specialist, uh, actually, um, in, in, in understanding the whole area of, of oppression. And, but simply the notion of, are you bored? Uh, so I started writing a job description to say, here's what I, here's what I do. And worked out 
pretty soon, I, you could never hire someone to do this job because it's just ludicrous in its entirety. A, you couldn't find someone with all the skills. You'd be interviewing the world. B, the hours are just, um, you'd be turned down by everyone. The initiative, the lack of training, uh, the fact that there's no, um, uh, no one's telling you if you're doing a good job. Um, there's there's very little reward and it's never ending and the job description keeps changing. And the worst part is you are your own tyrant. You're writing your own yeah. job description. There's even no one you can blame to say, why have I suddenly decided I'm going to bother getting Christmas jerseys? Well, because the children will be disappointed. Or, you know, why have I decided, you know, I need to get my, my mother a, a new printer? It's because she's stuck without that printer and I've got to go do that because when you care about people, there's almost no limit to what you feel you'll do for them if they can't do it for themselves. Paula, that's a really interesting that you use the word caring there and that you referred to it earlier about it's not just having dependents who are younger than us, it's also dependents who are older. Is that kind of the crux of it? Is that what we're at? Is it that women are have been told since time immemorial that we are better at caring about people and therefore a lot of these things, what they have in common is looking out for people, making things better, making things magical, making things safe and warm as you described so well earlier. Is that our ultimate um, trap that we're all in? We are the people who care best, therefore we should do it all. And that's a big fat lie, isn't it? Because men are also equal of equally capable of caring about things too. I was about to say the second part of your sentence, men are equally capable, not just of caring, they're equally capable of every single part of the invisible job. It's not rocket science. Sorry. No, it's, it's not rocket science. And I know many men who, uh, who who have instinctively know this. In fact, there are two lovely German men uh, who podcast. Jeez, the Germans seem to be me. very good at this stuff. Well, not not overall. No, they're not. In fact, uh, because in Germany, 75 percent of women who work, uh, they only work part time, uh, 20 hours a week uh, okay. and men get to work 40 hours a week. And there's a huge imbalance. In fact, there's a lovely book written by uh, an engineer who um, is I become a friend of mine. She was a professor of engineering in Brazil and then in Germany. And she has realized that in these two very different countries with very different cultures, it is simply impossible to be. Um, every all things to all men, or especially all things to all dependents. So she moved from having being a lecturer in one of the top universities in Brazil, um, and it was already hard there. But they have a system whereby you, rich people can pay someone to effectively look after your children all day long, which she didn't agree with. But then in Germany, um, it was impossible to get a job, um, except she realised that what all women end up doing in order to fit in with school schedules, to fit in with all the things that must get done somehow, is they work 20 hours. But then with that, they lose all kinds of job security, career advancements, um, long-term financial security, pension entitlements. And so she's come up with a theory that really, instead of women working 20 hours and men working 40 hours, why don't we all work 30 hours? And her book is called 30 Hours. Oh, that is brilliant. Dr. Nadiana Crook. Paula, does she speak English? Because I'd love to have her on about that 30 hours. She does. And I will ask her for you. I'm sure Brilliant. she'd be happy to. I love to. that. Um, so, <laughs> okay, that's, so she... that's another episode which I'm sure <laughs> people will be dying to hear about as well. Yeah. But um, going back to that, that thing of being men being just as capable. This is a myth, isn't it? That somehow they're not. No, it it is a myth. And, and it, it links into the fact that something you alluded to earlier on that, you know, some women think, oh, I'm better at it. That's a myth. That's a myth that we have put ourselves into, you know, into the position of saying that's why I do it. And we're, we're led into that. 
But it is true that there's a, a big capability gap after a while of having children. When you are, let's say, 28, a couple, happy out, doing everything, no kids, neither of you have a notion how to do anything to do with kids. You've seen them. You might even know people who own them, but that's about it. And then suddenly you become a parent and you're leaving the hospital going, are you sure we're allowed to bring it home? Neither of us has a notion. Uh, and you do. And you just something clicks in and you know we've got to do this, but something clicks in much more quickly and much more urgently with a mother who feels this is what I've got to do. And this is not something she's necessarily born with, although there is nurturing in every species of animal, but it's not only that this nurturing impact uh, and instinct is in is in women. But if nobody did it, you know, like um, uh, like a game of chicken, the person who gives in first of all, of all and gives in very willingly is the mother. However, if it's all going swimmingly, then it's very easy to say, well, all seems to be just fine here. I'll just go off and make a cup of coffee. And it's just that if there, if there isn't a need, but it's a falsehood to think that that is um, the case. There's only one of us who can do this. It's really a job that two people should do. And I think that penguins have got this right. I think mm. emperor penguins are just a fantastic species. If you think about, you know, they, they lay an egg and then they've got to stand around for months while this egg uh, gestates. So they don't say, listen, I'm the man, I'll go fishing and you can sit there with the egg. They take it in turns. They each stand on the freezing cold ice with an egg balanced between their feet. The other one goes fishing, fills their belly, comes back, says, tag, off you go. I've got this. Same happens once the chick is born. They don't just change into roles where I'm now the fish winner and you're the um, chicken minder. They carry on. One goes off uh, fi uh, fishing, feeds themselves, comes back with little sprat for the, for the baby chick. Tag, you go off and do it. So if emperor penguins can do it, why can't we do it? Well, that is brilliant. I just have that lovely image in my head of that gorgeous documentary that was voiced by your man from um, Shawshank Redemption. Morgan uh, Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Exactly. So you have all the answers. But that's a that's a great analogy and a great way to, to think about it. Now, I want this podcast not to be exhausting for all the women listening who have just come through the Christmas invisible jobs that you've listed earlier on. I want it to be about redressing this really serious imbalance. And I know that's why you wrote your book, The Invisible Job, mm -hmm. as well. And I know that's what you're passionate about. So can we shift the conversation a bit? Because we could talk for another two hours about how The Invisible Job impacts us and why it's not fair and all of that thing. But I think you've done a great job. Is there a way out of this? And where does it start? And how do we even begin to tackle it? Because... For me, it's one of the key issues around equality and feminism. And it's something that we don't put enough time to, in my view, like pay gaps are really important and all the other issues are really important. But if, meanwhile, we go home into our houses and there is a massive inequality day to day, then what's it all for, really, you know, is my is my take on it. So how do we fix it? Well, this is really what maybe motivated me to write this. The answer is really, really clear. And I almost felt so, so stupid when I finally clicked what a big lie that we've all lived in. And initially I thought, maybe it's just me. And that's why I started interviewing lots and lots and lots of women from Ireland, from UK, some from Australia, and realised every intelligent woman I know and, and went on to speak to, we all followed the exact same path, jumping off a cliff like a lemming. And that's what's just ridiculous. And I ask 
you know, how, how did this happen? And none of us could figure out how it happened. It sort of just did. So there are key places where it goes wrong and need to be fixed at a structural level. So a kind of societal level. And that's always harder to, to, to put in place. Um, and so, uh, for instance, one of the key things that creates this pattern is um, when you have a new baby, you tend to have a parent, like you always have a parent who will go on maternity leave or paternity leave. But in almost all the countries in the world, bar the Nordics, it is set up that the only person who really can take this leave um, are mothers. So you don't even question that at the time. You're too busy going, Why did I make it through labor? Did we get it home? Did we manage to put the car seat in? Um, am I taking mat leave from work? Well, obviously, because it's available to me. It's not available to my to my partner. And even where it is available to partners, they're not actively encouraged to do it. I spoke to one couple where the dad had announced in work that he was taking the first two months of uh, his baby's life off. And all the other men in the office said, why would you do that? And men rightly feel, if I did that, my boss would think I'm not serious about my job. The problem is that the same applies to women, only we've accepted that. Because how do you not go on maternity leave. It's somebody must look after this little person we brought into the world. But it's socially acceptable for that person to be the mother. And yes, she's allowed to come back to work. Oh, she seems a bit tired. I wonder why. But that's just women for you, you know. So really, if we from day one welcomed and made it financially, legally and practically possible for men to take equal parental leave, that would be the first step. And they do this in Norway. They've been doing it for 30 years already. So men have ring-fenced, protected leave. So do women. And if you give any man the same chance to learn these brand new skills that a mother, the day before she gave birth, hadn't a clue how to do, he will be every bit as capable of doing every single one of them. And I know you wouldn't do this, but some dinosaur men uh, might say, what about the breastfeeding? You no, know, so just, you know, we, we, we get, that's, that's just a minor thing. But every single, the, single one of these skills is new. We learn them through trial and error, tons of error. And the error is very painful. That's why being at home on maternity leave alone, making mistake after mistake is very traumatic experience for, for new mothers. They're completely sleep deprived as well, which is why Anything that would be easy on a day when you have slept is like doing a Mensa puzzle because you haven't slept and your brain doesn't work. But think if you did that together, if you had, you know, a right hand man or a right hand woman doing this together, it would make the whole experience more manageable. It would make it lovely. You'd be learning things together. You'd be like the penguins. But instead, it's an opportunity we only give to women. So she accelerates her skills at an unbelievable rate. When she comes back to going back to work, the funny thing is, is that she retains all her skills. And meanwhile, she carries on taking all of those responsibilities. They stay on her shoulders. And if that goes too far, you do reach the point where you say, well, I could ask him to do it, but it would just be quicker to do it myself. So that's a point that I really would urge everybody who's beginning a new relationship or especially becoming a parent don't ever let that situation where there's a huge disparity between your skill sets happen. Don't 
want to validate that you're the best at anything. Help your partner and both of you help each other to be equally good at everything. As if you've got a replacement, you must not be indispensable. You've got to be able to say, I'm gone for 48 hours. You've got this without writing a spreadsheet of instructions and emergency numbers. And, you know, you're depriving another person of a wonderful chance to develop lifelong skills, competencies, pride in what you can do and a very close relationship with a child. But and what I love about the two um, German guys who who I did a podcast with, um, they're, they're called Hausmannskost. They are two men who are trying to redefine masculinity in Germany. Um, they're both dads, um, and they want to widen the role that men are wrongly kind of pigeonholed into you know, earners and uh, you know dads who do the sports. They want to redefine masculinity and make sure that it includes all of the caring responsibilities, caring as a friend, as a brother, as a partner, as a husband, as a son, because men are empathic. Men are not encouraged to show this side of their skills, develop them, be wonderful listeners. They're capable of everything that women are capable of. And we need to encourage and reward that. And therefore, from day one, I think all new dads should be encouraged to to become every bit as capable. And the best way to do that is by ensuring that within the first year of a child's life, that a man spends at least one month solo, solo in charge of a child. And as some of the studies that I've written about show that this reduces the likelihood of that relationship breaking down. Seven years later, you will not be divorced. That's very interesting. But Paula, if there's some women listening who just even the thought of and I know there's not going to be everybody, but some people might be thinking a month alone. I don't know if I'd let my partner alone with my, you know, Mm -hmm. I think, again, it goes back to that idea that we have put on ourselves that we're better. We really Mm -hmm. I think we really need to shake that mindset, don't we? And accept it's it's not a gender based uh, skill. It just isn't. No, I mean, when I left the hospital with a small baby, I was asking myself, is this legal? Who could let me walk out of this hospital with a baby, you know? So we have to let go. We have to trust and encourage our partner. We're both clueless. And this, even whatever stage we're at, this is ideally something I'd love every 25-year-old woman and man to know. But even if you're 35, even if you think, well, that ship has sailed now, I'm so much better at X, Y, and Z. If I was gone for a weekend, there'd be hell at home. No, yeah. let's give our partners a bit of credit. Don't walk out the door and expect them to learn how to do everything if you're in that situation. But what's needed is, to, you know, to first of all assess what is the, the job description. It's like if you were to take on a new trainee at work, you couldn't say, well, you don't know how to do it, so you'll be useless. No, let's invest the time explaining how to do something. Let's be encouraging. Let's go. Let's not expect perfection. Let's. And actually, you may find you'd be surprised. You may find, God, I never thought of doing the, you know, the the the, the birthday parties that way. That worked brilliantly. You know, mm. you have to hand over full responsibility for each element after you've divided up the elements. Um, I'm talking about elements, which is kind of all the different parts that are involved in visible jobs. So once you've done an assessment of what is actually what does our job description look like? Um, so you, you can do this kind of an assessment if you go to the website um, www.theinvisiblejob.com. There's a template there uh, and you could download that and use it to go, yep, that looks like us. Or, oh, no, there's a few jobs on, on there that don't apply to us. And, and they'll apply at different times in your life. And just do a kind of an evaluation and say, 
wow, we have 122 things on the go here. Um, and how many of them are mine? How many of them are yours? How many do we not really need to do at all? But then if you decide, okay, let's say you take these ones and I take these ones and you may never have done these ones before. You don't send a trainee off to say, go on, go see that new client. You'll be fine. You don't. You sit down and you explain how to do it. Things, pitfalls that I would avoid because I've, I've made 10 mistakes before. But up to then, you go do it and, you know, ad lib, do your own thing. You may have a better way of doing it than me. And let's regroup and see how did you get on. Support and encourage. And this gap can be bridged at any point. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. So people should go to theinvisiblejob.com and look at that list. And that might be, a, I mean, that might be a good start, actually. We're talking about we're January 6th. We're heading into 2022. For anyone listening who's thinking, where do I even begin to redress this imbalance that has occurred mm -hmm. in my partnership, whether you have kids or not? Because it can happen anyway, can't it, even without the children? I know that brings another dimension. But yeah. even in, in heterosexual couples that are at home together, making a house, there's still lots of things to do and lots of things to Look big after. time. And that's actually the most important time to start. You know, um, we are busy trying to em em kind of impress our partner, I guess, in both ways, particularly if you don't yet have kids. It's kind of like, is this a thing where we're not fully, fully, fully invested yet? Um, but that's the time to really start to understand what is involved or what will be involved in the future? And do I like the sound of that? And if I do, how will it just work? You know, if you imagine, you know, you meet someone in college and uh, you're, you're both doing the same thing, you're all, you're independent, but you complement one another. All of a sudden, you know, you have something, either a, an elderly person to look after, a sick mother, or you've, or you've a new baby. And where do these 60 hours a week that this can take, where do they suddenly come from? We have to think about, well, will you keep working full time or will we both keep working full time? Or is there an automatic assumption in there that, well, you know, when it comes to it, I'll obviously be going for promotion. So you'll go down to um, part time hours and that's how we'll work it out. And that is what happens. And that is what happened in, in, with most of the people who I've interviewed. That seems to be the safety valve. It isn't possible for us both to keep going. Um, it's socially less acceptable for men to take that role. And that's where we need employers, HR managers, companies, the government to make it socially acceptable in the way that it is in the Nordic countries. Mm -hmm. But we also need to, you know, have that space and, and encourage that either one could do it and not presume that although someone needs to now take care of these responsibilities, that someone doesn't have to be a woman. That someone could equally be a man who could have a more, A, for sure, a more fulfilling relationship with his partner, an interdependent one, one where you both have the skills to say, I've got this. You go do whatever you need. There's ups and downs, give and take, but we're both equally capable and we must not default into thinking, oh, when that phase happens, that you'll take care of that. That's what women do. Yeah. And I don't think any well-meaning man would ever knowingly do that from all the men I've spoken to. It's really just a, a, a path that they are nudged down. It's not something they say, well, that's not the kind of thing I would do. I think 99% of men believe in equality. And they believe in the capability and the skills of their partner. And I think they perhaps underestimate their own skills. And society tells them that is just how things are. She does more of this. You do less of this. That's how it is. And that's fine. The new Safe Ireland Survivor Fund, in partnership with Airbnb, 
enables Safe Ireland to contribute to sustainable supports for women and frontline services and to provide focused actions for children. You can play a critical role in helping to protect more women and children from abuse. Donate directly to your local domestic violence service or to the national work of Safe Ireland. Go to www.safeireland.ie for more information. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Paula, I'd love to know what you do. You feel hopeful because you've spent an awful lot of energy and time as well as working in your job and being a parent and being a partner and all those things. Do you do you feel more hopeful now that these things are being discussed and that these um, preconceived notions of gender and and the invisible jobs are being challenged is it a good time? Like, are you, you know, are you excited about the future for these things or is it going to take a few more generations? What's your take on it? Um, I think at the current rate, if we do nothing, uh, I would be pessimistic because there's, you hear talk of, what well, aren't things better than they used to be? But that's the most outmoded comparison to be making. Where they need to be immediately is we need to be equal. If we feel that men and women are equal, then why should we allow a delay until we have equality? Why would you allow one more year go by in your relationship where you spend 10 to 12 hours per week more than your partner on things which you do for the mutual benefit, uh, your mutual benefit and everyone in your home? And that is literally the case. Um, if you look at the data I quoted from the US in a couple where both are working and they have a child under six, the woman in that relationship spends 10 to 12 hours per week more on the invisible job than her partner. He spends more time keeping fit and um, seeing friends, relaxing, watching TV. Um, and the, what suffers is, you know, your health, your well-being, your friendship, your relationship. It's the biggest cause for for stress. So it's something that needs to be equalized as soon as possible and not generation by generation. So the gap between men and women in, t- in taking their, doing their fair share is getting smaller, but the gap per, in terms of hours per week is closing at the rate of one minute per year. So we won't be done until the year 2228. Having said that, actually, I am optimistic because I now understand how to solve this problem. I remember years ago, I was uh, in Girton's Women's College in, in Cambridge and there were all these 
oil paintings up on the wall of, of, of women who had studied 100 years ago. And, you know, they'd done medicine, maths, physics, and some of them had come first in their year, but they weren't even given a degree. They weren't, they weren't considered worthy of a degree because they were women. And I just stood and looked at those pictures and felt so grateful to these women who, because of them, I grew up in an era where it was normal for women to do this, to have a career, to learn, to be given an opportunity to study. And now, mothers and fathers today, we all tell our daughters that they can be anything they want. You know, the sky's the limit. You can be Christine Lagarde in the IMF. You can be Ursula von der Leyen, Emer Cook, head of the European Medicines Agency. And so they do. Our daughters go for it and they fly until the arrival of their first child or when they have an elderly dependent to look after them. And then society tells them, oh, yes, you can be Christine Lagarde, provided you manage to do the invisible job, too. And they go, what? The invisible job? What does that involve? Oh, it's a 60 hour week job with no pay and uh, no recognition. What, what's the job description? Oh, there isn't one, but not to worry. You'll figure it out because all women do. And say, oh, well, is it exclusively for women? Oh, no, 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 no. We actively encourage men to opt in and help whenever they have time. But the rest of the time, it's on you. But now that the job description does exist, I'm confident that every young couple, every, every couple of any age, will realise how ridiculous this is and decide to carve a new path on their own terms. Paula, I just want to ask you as well, uh, before you go about the pandemic, because uh, I know there's been some silver linings of the pandemic in regard to all this, but there's also been some downsides. So what, what's your take? Because you would have uh, written your book before. I think it would have been out in the world before. Here it is. I did, except it was it was finished, uh, but the, then there was a delay with um, with publishing, and so the publisher asked me to actually put in some parts about the pandemic, which there's a little bit in there. So, for instance, um, when uh, like, like in the US, like like here, when schools were closed for long periods and it was homeschooling, and uh, the McKinsey report uh, found last September, just as term was about to start again, and schools were closed in New York again. Um, one million people left the workforce and 80% of them were women. And it was because they just could not face the thought of this going on any longer. If you take away the support network of childminders, of grandparents, of cleaners, the things that make it just about possible to keep going day after day, you take those away and you expose the lack of support in most Western countries. Um, and and it, it, it isn't possible to do. So it also found that um, the McKinsey report found that when this stress was being noticed within couples, you know, one of us is going to have to quit our job. There were very few men who ever considered it would be me. There were silver linings in the sense that many men realised, wow, I love being at home. I love being in more, more in touch with my kids. Um, I want more of this. And so that's been articulated uh, in, in every age group and, and particularly we see it in, in, in millennials. I want to be more involved. But their concept of being more involved isn't they haven't really got the, 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 the full picture yet. You know, so there was a study done by the by the, the it's called the dad study and it was asking millennials and Generation X, which of the following are you partially or completely responsible for? And it would include bringing your kid to the to 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 the doctor and um, bedtime routine, getting them to school in the mornings. And the the 
output of their study was the younger generation are getting better, like 31% say they're partially involved in bedtime routine. And I look at that and go, that means 69% are not even involved whatsoever. And the key thing is partial involvement. Partial involvement is the holy grail. It's like pick and mix of when do I want to be a parent? Only when it suits me. So the thing about being, <laughs> the thing about the invisible job is the book stops with you. Whether you have time for something, whether you feel like something, whether you have the mental energy to do it, the lack of flexibility around jobs that involve caring for other people is the part that yeah, means that you're pushed up against a wall. You have no option. It must happen now. If we could pick and choose what we wanted to do, every single element would be perfectly lovely. Every one of them, whether it's washing pots, doing the school run, you know, mowing the lawn, they're all perfect. But it's just the lack of flexibility of shouldering too many of them is what uh, breaks people up. Well, in, in redressing the balance, I want to put in my tuppence worth because I want to put a, a word in for laziness. And I'm a very big fan of idle parenting. I have a book called The Idle Parent, in fact. So I think when we look at those jobs, we need to get rid of at least a third of them. I reckon loads of things we do, we don't actually have to be doing. And I, I find that if you're a bit more lazy, like I am, you're kind of more inclined to, to make sure that you're not doing more than you should be doing because your instinct is preservation. That's my instinct. I need my mm -hmm. time to not do anything. Therefore, I have to. My partner, and he happens to be one of those people who likes to do things. He's a busy person. I'm the opposite. Mm -hmm. So it works very well. But definitely, you know, this inclination as women, I think that we have, that we always need to be frazzled and on the go. And that, that's our kind of default position. We need to get away from that. We also should be people who are chilling out a lot of the time and getting relaxed and all that stuff. Completely. That needs to be scheduled in. Yeah. In fact, you, ha you have to schedule in time to just time for your headspace, time to get away. And I'd strongly recommend from the beginning you of, 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 of any long term relationship that you each have separate time, whether you go on holidays by yourself or every Saturday morning, I, it's time for me and equally time for your partner. You have to take care of yourself. You have to have the freedom to know that, okay, even though 90% of my working day is taken up looking after everything that must be done, I know I will have 30 minutes for me. That's really, really important. And you also talked about, you know, it's, we've become a de facto frazzled state, thinking we just have to do it and that's how it is. We need to take a step back and go to our list and say, what can I take off this list? What can I delete completely? Do we really have to send Christmas cards, you know? Or, you know, so if you agree together that no, we don't. In an ideal world, we should, but we don't. As long as you give each other permission to say, right, nobody gets annoyed. That's just not going to happen anymore. The other way is to say, what can we outsource? If we're in a position to pay for something, could we pay someone to do X, Y, Z? Or could we ask, could we ask granddad, would he be able to bring Johnny to piano on Tuesdays, you know? And the other big thing is we need to start involving our children for two reasons. One, children beyond a certain age, uh, and that is quite young even, are really capable and really interested in doing things. So if we start teaching our children, giving their responsibility, whether it's, you know, putting their toys away, we frame it in a way that we praise them. It might be linked to stars or pocket money or just an expectation of we're a family unit. How does 
what are all the elements that it takes? You know, yes, we have dinner this evening, but who thought of what we were going to cook? Oh, great, it was you. You decided we'd have sausages today. And who went to the shop to buy the sausages? And who grilled them? And who got out the forks and knives? And thank you, everybody, for all playing your part in doing this. It it goes back to what you said, Paula, about awareness. I think that's ultimately... Um, what the conversation is about. Once we can see, once the invisible job becomes visible, then we can have a much better conversation about it and we yes. can have a much more sensible one and one that sort of serves everybody instead of yes. leaving one part of the, the equation left in the corner feeling like, oh my God, I'm failing on all these counts. Yes. And I think it's about the visibility, making the invisible job visible and then and then we can go from there. Absolutely. And the sooner you do it, the better. Because most just interesting for me has been that the women who uh, have phoned me up and uh, had the most to say and very deeply um, so are the women who are older, women who are 60, 70, 80, who have said, I now see why it all felt so hard. I now, I am, they have many things that they regret now. Either they regrets in their career, regrets in their relationship, regrets in their personal fulfillment. And it's they feel in a way, maybe it's too late, but now at least I'm starting to come to terms with why that happened, how it happened. I was never at fault. And we have an entire self-help industry which is set up to say, well, you just need to get up earlier, you need to do more Pilates, you need to lean in. It's all very well leaning in. If well, our got, T-Shock even you know, told us, nannies. he talked about the people who get up early in the morning, you know, it's, it's ingrained, isn't it? It is. But really, we need to just take a step back and understand the scale of this job, appreciate that it is the most central thing in our to our happiness, having a happy family and a stable home. Who can go anywhere without those two things and a happy relationship? So to do those, it looks easy. The better you do it, the more invisible it becomes. If you suddenly took it all away, it would take away the core of everybody's happiness. So we need to take a step back and realize, wow, in order to make that happen, there are 138 things involved. I hadn't appreciated that. How do I real how do I work out a way with my partner to rationalize this? Let's cut it down to the things we both agree are important. Let's work out a rational way to share it and let's appreciate one another. That's the most important thing to appreciate whether I do it or you do it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I see it. And that's that's really what the most important thing is. Paula, this has been such an illuminating conversation. You've also given me ideas for three more podcasts at least. So you have to send me all the details of all those amazing German <laughs> people. But also, happy Nulluk Naman. And what are you going to do nice for yourself today now? Well, since last year, I've discovered the most fabulous, fabulous way to spend Nulluk Naman. And that is with my choir in Ranelagh, who are called um, Cor Quillen. And um, they are a bunch of absolutely fierce, wonderful, strong, capable women. Um, we sing. Uh, uh, Lima Wainley got us going. Um, we, we don't sing that well, but we sing and we love it. And we all come together um, in uh, Roisin's house and everybody brings a dish. So it's not a case of anybody catering. So we're staying well away from, you know, lumping all the work onto someone. And it's just an opportunity to chat and just catch up and learn what's happening in everyone's life. And it is just the most gorgeous way to spend Nolignamon. And I hope 
COVID um, will allow this tradition to happen. I hope COVID will disappear and allow this tradition to continue for many years to come. Uh, and, and I highly recommend it to everyone. It's, it's, it's just a fab way to connect with every wonderful woman you know. That sounds wonderful. Well, I hope I wish all of our listeners a great Nolignamon. And I hope that what we've been chatting about today will give people food for thought and give them perhaps if they are feeling that frazzled kind of default position that will give them a way forward that will be different because I think it's a game changer personally and I'm so grateful to you Paula for having written literally written the book on it because I think it's very helpful (laughs) it's called The Invisible Job How Sharing Home and Parental Responsibilities Leads to Happier Lives and we all want to be happier Happy Nolignamon everyone and happy Nolignamon to you Paula as well And to you Roisin that's all we have time for. Thanks so much to Paula Fiennes. Her book is called The Invisible Job. And do let us know what you thought about the conversation by getting in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're on Instagram or Twitter and we're on email thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's it from me. Happy New Year. Happy Nolignamon. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you hopefully COVID-free, next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.